Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 54. Yes, I would also like to comment on something that you said that I, I find is extremely important. You said one person alone can act hold the key to Kizomba and, and that makes a lot of sense because Kizomba is, is part of a culture, is part of a way of life. Uh, so one person alone cannot bring a culture together. And it's such many transformations. It, it just, you know, Kizomba and Angola is, is part of the community life. It is part of the country. But also when you look at in Portugal, we have the Palop community that everyone kind of dances their own way and brings their own culture into the mix. And then it's just went over to, and spread out to the whole world. And and has traveled far and of course different other things became incorporated into the dance but it's it's that element of different people together that that is the same everywhere Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with another episode. And with this particular episode this week, I'm super excited because we have a very talented lady on the line here who's been very influential with the growth of Kizoma around the world. She's been teaching for quite some time now. So she's been traveling around the world, spreading Kizoma all over. And I'm so happy to have her here this week. None other than Lucia Nogueira. Hi everyone. Hi Charles. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here with you guys. Definitely, definitely. I think you are in Montreal right now, yeah? Yes, yes. I am in Montreal getting ready for Montreal this Kizomba. So I'm here with uh, a bunch of crazy artists and we're getting ready for a social tonight. Nice, nice, nice. That's awesome. Um, we were playing a little bit of tag because I was in Canada and then you were, I think you've been in Montreal for a while now, right? I think some people came there because you were doing a training or something like that, if I remember correctly. Yes, I've been here for a week now. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Uh, last weekend we had a teacher's training. Mm -hmm. uh, it was eight hours per day, three mm -hmm. days. Oh, wow. Uh, and at the end of the course, they had to teach a life class. So that was that was really really nice, and it was a pleasure uh, to have that train. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we have you here on the podcast um, to share your story with Kizomba, and I guess in previous podcasts I mentioned how different people 
in dance and in kizomba they have different pieces of the puzzle you know like it's hard for one person to have the whole puzzle of the spectrum of everything that was and everything that is and everything that will be you know um but you know sometimes on facebook like going in on, on comments on certain posts people are curious about certain things and i feel like well the podcast has been a really good element to kind of help I guess kind of solidify, at least give a snapshot of where we are in, in the Kizoma world and just give a chance for people to kind of sit down and kind of have a cup of coffee with you. I'm not sure if you're a coffee drinker or not, but um, I don't love coffee. Yeah. So it's kind of that choice because it's like if they see you at a workshop and then let's say they take your class or something like that, they don't necessarily get to have a lot of time to sit down and ask you questions about your journey and everything like that, you know? So I really like the, the podcast platform so people can kind of sit down, relax, listen to your story and, and get to know more about you, you know? Yes. I would also like to comment on something that you said that I, I find is extremely important. Mm -hmm. You said one person alone can act hold the key to Kizomba and, and that makes a lot of sense because Kizomba is, is part of a culture, is part of a way of life. Mm -hmm. uh, so one person alone cannot bring a culture together, <laughs> and it's transformations. It, it just you know, Kizomba and Angola is is part of the community life. It is part of the country, but also when you look at in Portugal, we have the Palop community that everyone kind of dances their own way and brings their own culture into the mix, and then it just went over to, and spread out to the whole world and. And has traveled far, and of course, different other things became incorporated into the dance. But it's it's that element of different people together that that is the same everywhere. Definitely, definitely. So, for those people who haven't heard of you, maybe maybe they're not a kizomba dancer, maybe they're a swing dancer or a tango dancer or something like that, um, or maybe they're really new to kizomba and they haven't heard of you yet. Um, can you go ahead and let the people know who are listening and hearing about you for the first time what you do today? Okay, so today I teach, my, my only activity, my sole activity is to teach dance, to teach Kizomba and Semba. And I do this uh, in a lot of different countries, sometimes staying longer in, in one country, sometimes less. Uh, but I always try to stay um, as much as necessary to to share the culture, to share the history, to share the dance and the music, and and that makes me really happy. Definitely, yeah, it's Kizomo is definitely a beautiful dance that I also fell in love with. So it's awesome and. I remember taking a private lesson with you during my first trip to Madrid with you and Bonifacio in Madrid, the Central Dance. You remember that back in 2012? Yeah, this, <laughs> that was so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy how time flies. So now it's like almost five years later, you know? And I, I started to teach Kizomba exactly that year. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it, it's precisely that year. So for me, it was also uh, a nice surprise and things develop in such a fast way that I wasn't expecting mm -hmm. or it wasn't planned, really. Awesome, awesome. So before we get into all of the history of you traveling and, and Kizoma, all that kind of stuff, um, let's go ahead and let the people know where you were born and where you grew up. 
So I was born in Terceira, which is um, an island in between Europe and the U.S. Uh, and Terceira is part of the Azores archipelago and it's part of Portugal. I uh, lived there until the age of 18, and uh, after that I moved uh, to Lisbon so I could study at the university. And what were you studying there at the university? I studied management and public administration. And was there like a particular reason between management and public administration, or was it just something you fell into, or did your parents make you do it, or...? Uh, well, it wasn't something that I was particular particularly enthusiastic about, mm -hmm. but uh, where I come from, which is, is a very uh, small place, a small community, so our choices in life tend to be more rational. Mm. Uh, so it was just, okay, this will grant me a job. <laughs> I got you. And it's good enough. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, and was there dance in your life before Kizomba? And if so, like what, what dances were you exposed to? So, as I said, coming from this really, really small place, we didn't have uh, any access to dance classes as, as in the format that you have in the U.S. Uh, so we would have like tradition, traditional kind of dances and theater. Uh, so all the access um, to music and dance that I had is because my, my family on my dad's side, uh, they are musicians. So I just ended up doing... Well, listening to a lot of music, singing a little bit with my dad, but I was too shy for that. Mm -hmm. And and was always watching them with uh, dance and theater and stuff like that. So it kind of stuck to me. I got you. Did you end up playing any musical instruments yourself? <laughs> well, I tried, but um, I couldn't hold still. <laughs> oh, because so you wanted to dance, so you couldn't stay still and just play the musical <laughs> instrument. I got you. Yes, I was always moving, so they couldn't get me to learn <laughs> how to play. I got you. I used to play the, the saxophone and the flute and a little bit of piano. I want to get back into it, but it's, it's definitely fun. But it's different when you're a dancer because, like, you want to play the music and then you want to dance to the music at the same time, you know? So it's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah? So what was your first uh, introduction to, like, official introduction to dance? Was it first Kizomba or, like, how did that all get started? Well, before that, I already, I would dance with my dad, but just a little bit of walls and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. In school, I used to do rock and roll, uh, but nothing serious. I always loved to dance, but it was only when I moved to Lisbon uh, that I learned Kizomba from my friends. But it didn't start with the dance. It started with the culture, and then soon after, it developed into the dance. What was the reason to, to moving to Lisbon? Was it to study or for work or? Yeah, it was to study. Um, and because I'm from an island, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't immediately um, connect well with people from mainland. So the, f the people that I connected with the most at the beginning was with Cape Verdeans because they're also from islands. Mm. Uh, and... From that point onward, I ended up learning about their culture, about their dances, their music, and that's how it started. Okay, so was there a particular person that started to introduce you? Like, how did and how did you meet this person? Tell us, take us back to that point. 
<laughs> no, actually, it was uh, different people like Carmen. Uh, she introduced me to a lot of cultural elements. I certainly learned how to cook cachupa, for example, with her. Uh, cook what? What was that? Cachupa. <laughs> cachupa. Yeah, I haven't heard of that. So, the, what is cachupa? It's a good dish. <laughs> and what is the dish made of? It's basically the main ingredient. Ingredient is corn, but mm -hmm. then you can you can have uh, different sorts of uh, kinds of meat mm -hmm. and vegetables okay. included. I like corn and meat. It's good. All right. And so mm -hmm. you learn how to cook that, and what else? Uh, then uh, morning coladeira. I first heard from my friend Necha. Um, okay, so you said I, Morna and Coladera, those are dances of, of Cape Verde, yeah? From Cape Verde, yeah. Traditional dances. And traditional dances, yeah. So after that, um, while in my days at the university, I ended up living with a friend of mine from Angola, Jeanette. Mm -hmm. So I lived with her and her brother for many years, and I had a lot of interaction with her family me members mm -hmm. and also a lot of friends from university. So with talking with all these people and living like they live, uh, because they became my second family because I was so far from my family, mm -hmm. um, I just ended up assimilating the elements of their culture. Mm -hmm. And of course, going out uh, almost every night and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, I had to learn how to dance so I, I, can, I would continue moving. I got you. So tell us about the first time that you saw Kizomba or you witnessed Kizomba. Well, the first time that I saw Kizomba, it was probably at one of the university parties. Mm -hmm. And my friends were kind enough uh, to dance with me, and, and I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, it was around the house uh, with my friend Jeanette, and she would teach me a few steps and stuff like that. So right it wasn't at like a club or a party yet, yeah? Not at that point in time, but soon after I developed to that. So I would just go out with my friends and I had to be, you know, in shape to go to the club. Mm -hmm. Nice. And when did it become an addiction to go out and dance? Because you mentioned younger when you were younger, you couldn't stop moving. And so you were studying and OK, you're getting introduced to a lot of the, the polyp culture and things like that. And so you had the parties, you started going out to the clubs. And so did that just become a habit to where you started dancing more and more to the point you got addicted to it? Yeah, at some point in time, you could definitely call it an, uh, an addiction because mm -hmm. especially at the end of my studies, mm -hmm. uh, I would go out almost every night and, and parties in Lisbon, they can start around 2, 1, 2 a.m. and finish around 7 a.m. They start so at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. It's a lot of hours of dancing. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, so you said this was around 2003. Um, how? What year was it that you finished your studies in Lisbon? Hmm, good question. I think it was <laughs> around, ooh, it's been such a long time. Maybe 2005, 2006. Okay. And then we met in 2012 in Madrid. So what happened in between that time that like brought you to even be an instructor at, at Sensual Dance? 
Well, during that time, I just I just continue being a part of the, the community level. Mm-hmm. And um, I would learn more and more from each interaction. I was also lucky enough to have some of the best dancers mm-hmm. as my friends, so it was very easy to go out and dance and, and learn in a more organic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, uh, I also started to have my nights in Lisbon, so I, w- I would promote with a team uh, certain nights that I that I would that I was passionate about and to contribute so that that the nights wouldn't die. Mm-hmm. Um, so that of course gave me some experience in terms of promotion and in terms of bringing the people together mm-hmm. uh, just to party to celebrate. I got you. So I'm curious because like obviously Kizomba is very new here in the U.S. So. Was Kizomba in Lisbon at that particular time in in the late 2000s already huge? Because you mentioned that you didn't want the Knights to die. So was there still a need for promoters and things like that to keep the the parties going? Or was it more of people just like getting together with like their families or it's not like an official party kind of thing at a club versus a more of a relaxed environment in somebody's backyard? Oh yeah, um, when I started uh, back in 2003-2004, uh, it wasn't just going to the clubs, and the majority of the clubs that we would go, it's uh, Palop clubs, so mm-hmm. African clubs, not mixed, so often I would be the only white person there, mm. and back at that time, it wasn't considered to be, hmm, how would I say, it's not the kind of conversation that I would um, I don't know how to put this but it's it wasn't considered something proper in the Portuguese society mm-hmm. does it make sense? yeah to go to it the clubs the, to go to the African clubs to the African clubs yes it was still something a little bit separate like taboo like taboo um, or yeah it, it's some it would be something for polyps it's not I got you. It, there wasn't so much interaction in between in between the portuguese uh community and mm-hmm. the polyp community i got you um yeah so people would find it very weird even though you guys spoke the same language even though yes it's interesting and actually i I feel that what kizomba has done is it brought it brought to the portuguese community and the polyp community uh, closer. Mm-hmm. So dance were an element of, um, of of closeness, of interaction, mm-hmm. which is extremely positive. Okay. All right. So you started promoting, you're getting more into the community and things like that. And when did you decide to start teaching? Uh, interesting enough I never decided <laughs> so at some point Kizomba decided for you <laughs> yeah it decided for me I have I didn't decide <laughs> so in 2012 I did a competition um Africa Island Star mm-hmm. so in this international competition I was uh, representing Lisbon with uh, my late friend uh, Jimmy um who passed away in Angola um some years ago mm-hmm. and at that point in time uh, of course we, we won uh, the Lisbon um, 
qualifiers? Championship mm-hmm. qualifiers. Yeah, that's it. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. No problem. Uh, so at the competition, I ended up meeting Bonifacio. Mm-hmm. And we became friends. He stayed at my house for uh, some time because he wanted to get to know the city and things like that. And so he's in Angola? Yeah, he's from Angola. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so when he came uh, back from Angola the second time, um, his uh, manager, who is uh, Mukano Charles, he's the organizer of the Angolan competition, the competition in Angola. Mm-hmm. So he uh, asked to speak to me and asked me if I was interested in starting a project with Bonifacio uh, and, you know, just be his dance partner. Mm-hmm. Um I accepted. Uh, it was a challenge, and I usually don't turn down challenges. The mm-hmm. challenges that life presents. Nice. Uh, I always like to try and have a go <laughs> at whatever I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where uh, things started, basically. I got you. So, did you guys compete, or did you just started? Like, was he already a teacher, and he was already traveling to teach, or was he just competing, or? What was the situation at first? So he came from Angola. He was part of a school there. He came uh, from Angola because he won the the championship there, and he came to compete. He came with Conceição. They both um, won uh, the African Desire Championship, and but after Conceição was not free to travel. Um, she, of course, the majority of women in Angola, after a certain age, you think about, you know, raising your family and, you know, your own career goals and things like that. So dance is not exactly the life. And at this part of the world, we tend to push things over until a later stage. Mm-hmm. So for me, at that point in time, I was free uh, to travel. So I accepted the challenge. And that's when uh, we started. And eventually in December, we met in Madrid. And so you guys met in Madrid. So that was like the, the very beginning of you guys', I guess, kind of more professional journey. Is that what yeah. I... Interesting. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Have you been looking to level up your Kizomba, but you don't have the local instructors to take you there? Are you looking for something concrete to practice with your Kizomba partner? Or are you looking for Kizomba lessons that you can take on your schedule and the comfort of your home? If you answered yes to any of these questions, look no further. LearnToKids.com is what you need. Progressive, step-by-step lessons that you can take at your pace in the comfort of your home or anywhere with a solid internet connection on your PC, Mac, or any smartphone. New videos are added every month. You can try this awesome resource out 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. After the 30 days free, it's only a low $15 per month. But again, the special offer for the Dance Your Heart On Fire listeners, 30 days free at learntokids.com slash podcast. You won't find this offer anywhere else. Learntokids.com slash podcast. And now back to our show. I got you. So you started off teaching in that kind of circuit. Were you already aware of like festivals like that? Was that the first festival that you taught at? I was... Uh, in in that same festival the year previous mm-hmm. previously to this to that one so that was the only festival that I, I attended mm-hmm. 
I did not have an idea before that one. That was the only one that I attended before starting to teach. I, got you. I had no idea there was festivals, and and usually, like I said, I was more part of the community life, exactly. the follow up mm-hmm. life. So I would go more to African clubs, mm-hmm. uh, weddings, uh, birthday celebrations, or the Sunday celebrations, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Awesome. So obviously now, following you since we've known each other back in 2012, it's obvious that you have a passion for teaching. How long did it take for you to realize that you had a passion for teaching Kizomba and and Semba, starting with Bonifacio? Or were you already teaching? Or how did that all go? Because now you're teaching a lot and... You're doing the teacher's training and you're traveling the world and all that kind of stuff. And so obviously you can't do those things if you're not super passionate about it. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. when when did that when did you come to realize that you had that passion for teaching? Ah, that's such an interesting question is um, I've always had two passions uh, mm-hmm. since I was a child. One was about uh, dance and music and movement in general. Mm-hmm. And the second one was uh, about teaching. Um, so teaching is something that makes me happy, that is natural to me. Um, at that point in time, when when I started to teach Kizomba, I was a team leader and I would I was also a trainer in the company I worked for, and and I would provide coaching and things like that. So for me, teaching and breaking down things is something that I enjoy. I enjoy to simplify things so that other people can understand. But Mm -hmm. of course, that requires us to understand it fully first. Um, Yeah, so my, my biggest challenge has been how to you know how to identify the dance mm-hmm. and explain it in a way that is it's it's not too mechanical that it allows the dancers to get an understanding of the organic flow of kizomba mm-hmm. and of the culture and of the history alongside with it that's awesome so you've always had an a knack for teaching even before Kizomba and Simba and all that kind of stuff. So that's interesting to know um, because sometimes it's the other way around, you know, like people find they're passionate for something, you know, and then they have to become better at teaching. But obviously, you know, like the skill of teaching and the skill of dancing, those are two very different skills, you know? Yes, indeed. It's, it's really separate. You can have magnificent dancers that really do not have that inclination towards teaching and forcing it sometimes it does not create good results mm-hmm. and sometimes you have the other way around which is uh, you have amazing teachers that may not be the best dancers but definitely can deliver the knowledge for sure um yeah on my side i don't know maybe maybe i'm a better teacher than i am a dancer i'm not so sure mm-hmm. but i definitely enjoy uh, both sides. I got equally. you. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that. So what I'm curious about now is that, okay, you started at, as Bonifacio's partner and now you are doing the leading and the following and things like that. So I'm curious to know 
when did you start leading? What was the inspiration behind it? What was the the story behind it? And I'm pretty sure that there were some some criticisms and things like that when you first started to lead. So I'm curious to hear your your story and insight on that. <laughs> That's a funny question because once again I was pushed. Kizomba <laughs> <laughs> <I> decided. <laughs> The universe decided for me. Okay. I can respect that answer for sure because I can relate to that. So, um, I led a few times, uh, but not much because in Portugal, and especially in the pop-up community, uh, whenever they would see you lead another woman, they would immediately separate you and say, hey, hey, no, it's okay, we're here. Mm, I got you. (laughs) Well, uh, so... I did not have that much of a chance to lead in Portugal. And there was also this um, this idea that if you lead, you're going to, you're going to become a heavier follow. Hmm. So I did not do that much. I didn't know that I could lead, to be honest. Um, it was only when Eddie invited me to work with him that um, I had uh, to to teach him um, Simba and also to teach him how it's structured, how does it function for both lead and follow. So during that process of working together and gathering his ideas also on teaching and breaking things down, um, it's when I'm just, it just happened as a a regular thing. And and Eddie definitely, he is my my biggest, role model um, in terms of teaching as a lead because he was the one that pushed me into teaching. When I went to the UK, mm-hmm. he just told me, um, oh, you're teaching, by the way. You know, I'm teaching what? <laughs> and he just said, no, you're teaching. I'm like, okay. So I just, I taught a class, um, but it was a new experience for me. And I, gotcha. I, I realized that I could uh, lead while doing it. Doing it. Awesome. So outside of the Portuguese guys separating you guys in Lisbon when you started to lead, were there any other obstacles that you faced like when you're in the UK and like traveling around and things like that? Oh, yes, certainly. Uh, Even nowadays, Mm -hmm. um, there's so many. (laughs) I wouldn't call it obstacles. Uh, Nowadays, it doesn't even bother me. I just find it funny. Um, but one of the things that inspired me uh, when getting to the UK was the fact that there were so many uh, women teaching solo, like Rikita Alta and Tanya Mendoza, and I found it amazing because uh, where I came from, you wouldn't do that. So um, I used that inspiration to, you know, just do uh, whatever I had to do to teach and, mm-hmm. and not worry too much about what people had to say. Um, but of course, the first comments were of surprise. Um, men, especially from men initially, because when I lead, I tend to lead with a, a more masculine posture. Mm-hmm. So there's usually this interrogation of, oh, it's, it's, 
if they don't know me, of course, if they know me, it's just like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. I like you more when you're more feminine and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I thank them for their uh, views, but continue doing what I wanted to do. Um, for the ones that don't know me, they always have this interrogation. Oh, is is she gay? Oh, <laughs> What's Lord. <happening? laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So even though I have a lot, I had a lot of support since the beginning and that helped me a lot. There was also some not so nice comments that I had to hear. But, you know, in life, we're always going to face that. And if we really want to break through, we have to be able to take it in and just keep going. Yeah, for sure. I think anything worthwhile isn't going to come easy, you know? Yes, exactly. So it's really interesting that um, you're leading and things like that. And you've been to the U.S. and and North America several times here. And one thing that I notice as well teaching here in the U.S. is that we have a lot of female leads that are starting to teach and things like that, you know. And it's interesting because if you go to Europe or go to Portugal, like it's not that common, you know, it's not as widespread as it is over here. So I'm wondering, like, from from your experience and and your perspective, we have more ladies coming up. And then it's like the lady has to teach the guys how to lead. But then also seeing a lady lead is also going to inspire other female follows to possibly start leading, you know. So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. why do you feel like we have a lack of leads here with the cultural differences between North America and, and Europe and Portugal? And also, how do you feel about the the growing presence of more female leads in North America? Because I know a lot of them um, have done some training with you, you know, to kind of help them gain that confidence mm-hmm. and, and credibility and things like that. You know, so I'm cur- curious to hear your feelings behind it. That, that's uh, very interesting. Um, well, about my training is I do not... When I talk about leaders, Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about leading in the dance. Mm -hmm. So my course for women is not exactly about creating leaders in the dance. It's about creating leaders in the community, Mm -hmm. which means that once you finish the training, you are able to teach in whatever position. I see instructors as a neutral element of the class. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... You can start the class teaching as a lead, but then your students, your male students are able to, they got it. So you can swap over to the, to the follow side and one of them becomes the lead. Exactly. So it's just the ability to read the classroom and, and, and read lead and following as two different uh, set of skills skills, understand those dynamics, and be able to teach, to convey the necessary information. If uh, someone chooses to lead more than to follow, that's their own personal um, option. Mm-hmm. However, what being the U.S. is that it's a very fast-paced market. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's... It's also a free market. The culture is very different. Uh, So, for example, in the U.S., women have no time to sit around and wait for men to invite them to dance. It's like, let's go, we got no time to lose. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Um, So, women here um, in U.S. and also in Canada, they do not want to be submissive to a man's will 
to dance with them. Mm-hmm. I think this is the real reason why it happens. They do not want to be sitting around the whole evening and, you know, if they're kind enough to dance with us, we will dance. Well, it's for sure because, I mean, they're paying their their passes, they're paying their hotels, they're paying their flights to come out to the festivals and things like that. So it's like, why pay that money and then on top of that wait for a guy to come when they can just kind of take matters into their own hands, you know? Exactly. So if you have to dance by yourself with your drink or with another woman, it's, you know, it's everybody's choice. For and sure. for me, it's whatever makes uh, people happy. That's mm-hmm. what should be done because life is too short. At the end of the day, that's it. <laughs> that's awesome. And so can you tell us a little bit more about... Why do you feel that we have a lack of leads? Like, what do you see the difference between the guys in, in Europe and in Portugal and Palo countries and the guys that we have here in North America when it comes to probably just dancing overall, you know, but probably you've been more exposed to the Kizoma element, you know? Mm-hmm. And no, to be honest, I don't feel that the U.S. has lack, lack of leads. Um, may you may have like a leads in some cities. Mm-hmm. What I really feel is that um, the leads presence needs to be nurtured. Needs to be more nurtured. Mm-hmm. Yes, I feel that because it is such a fast-paced market, if a lead is not as good, they will just stay in the corner and have one or two dances. Mm-hmm. And so this um, this brings over a lack of motivation uh, for the men and also thinking that they may not be enough. And, of course, they can start and soon after they just get tired of it and give up. Yeah. So I feel that we need to, to be more patient. Mm-hmm. And I need... I feel like the, the social element, the social aspect of Kizomba um, should be embraced, which is, yes, we are here to dance, but we don't have to be so eager to dance with the best leads. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's a social interaction. So it's okay if you um, just have a conversation, if you just interact with different people, uh, and have fun with, without having to, without having that pressure for the best dance. Is it making sense? That makes plenty of sense, <laughs> because I mean, plenty of times okay. I've heard many messages. Okay, well, I went to the festival, but I didn't get a chance to dance with you. Or I didn't get a chance to dance with him or the instructors, you know. But I did get dances, but I didn't get yeah. the dances, you know. So that's definitely a sentiment that I've that I've heard expressed. Yes, definitely. And for us instructors, it also becomes a lot of pressure. It takes away a little bit of the fun of the party. And sometimes we want to be able to say hi to everyone and, you know, to check on people and how they are. Mm -hmm. And we don't get so much time to talk to people and and have that social interaction. Uh, So sometimes it's important to have that. And, And, okay, if someone is having a conversation let them finish the conversation or if you come to invite them to dance you just just say hey once uh, you finish your conversation would you mind dancing with me you know this this uh, common sense interaction needs to be 
more present at our socials. I got you. Awesome. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Like we've learned so much about you and a little bit more about the culture and the way it is in, in Lisbon and how it was uh, back then in the early 2000s and things like that with you offering forth your your pieces of the puzzle. Um, do you have any words of wisdom or advice that you would like to let the, the Kizomo community know to help them continue to, to grow and foster more leaders and, and good instructors and things like that? Um, the only message that I would like to share is mostly towards our interaction with one another. Mm -hmm. I think that we should be more patient and understanding with each other and the different uh, styles and different fusions and whatnot. And uh, sometimes, because Kizov is a real, is a very positive thing. It's mm -hmm. a lifestyle. It's part of a culture. Uh, so when all of this is happening, it, it just goes against the essence of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's the message that I would like to leave is just try to be more understanding with one another and to care more for each other uh, before the dance itself because it's about people. For sure. And the second thing that I would like to say is because you mentioned uh, the fact um, that I lead and mm -hmm. also the fact that I I, in a way, I, f I fomented this uh, leading mm -hmm. uh, with women in the U.S. It's, um, I would just like to leave this message, message that is, you know, just do whatever makes you happy, whatever makes sense to you. And if you're not interfering with um, nobody, nobody's freedom, you know, go ahead and, and just do your thing, be yourself. Uh, whoever you are. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned was the fact that some of the backlash that I had was wondering if I was gay and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So at some point it became funny, but it also makes me think about, um, you know, what if I was, you know? Why would I have to listen to this? Exactly. So these differences that we have based on gender, religion, skin color, it's it should not have place um, in our communities, and definitely, us as artists, we we can be a portal towards inclusion um, rather than discrimination. Mm -hmm. I agree. Awesome, Lucia. So for those people who want to follow you and find out more about you and find out where you're going to be traveling and all that kind of stuff, where where can they find that information? Just give me a call. <laughs> no, you can go to to my Facebook page. Um, also, so to my Facebook profile, you'll find some information there. I'm not the most organized of people, <laughs> but I do my best yeah. uh, to give the information there. Okay, no problem. I'll be sure to include the links in the podcast page so people can just click on that or they can look for you on Facebook and once again I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to share your story and share your inspiration and thank you for being an honored guest here on the podcast 
Thank you so much for inviting me, Chad. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Mm-hmm.